0: TBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Locations and new versions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast
1: at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by
0: Verse Ministries. A third lesson that applies to us, as I see it, is this whole concept of first fruits. Why do the people give God the first of their crops? Why did they do that? Because it was an expression of gratitude for God's provision. It was a way of saying, thank you. I recognize, Lord, that, that what I have before you comes from you. And I'm thankful. I believe you're going to give me more. But I want you to have the best. I want you to have the first. I want you to have the best.
1: If royalty came to your house for a meal, what would you serve them? Oh, It'd be a great time to finish off that leftover goulash, right? And for dessert, there's that old vanilla ice cream carton with the freezer burn. That'll do nicely. Just put some chocolate syrup on it. (laughs) I don't think so. Obviously, you'd want to give them something that showed them honor. So then, why do we give God our leftovers? Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will consider that as he concludes our series from Nehemiah about the characteristics of a biblical revival. Welcome. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In chapter 10 of Nehemiah, we see that one result of the revival was a reorganization of the people's attitude towards money. Suddenly, money was secondary to honoring and obeying God. They understood what Jesus would eventually say in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So then, let's listen now as Pastor Steve explains how that applies to us.
0: The Jewish people of Nehemiah's day changed. They cut their profits by not having business dealings with Gentiles on the Sabbath. They gave the land rest, and they canceled the debts owed to them. Why? Just because God said so. And and you may think, but it doesn't make financial sense. No, it may not. But life for us is not trying to make financial sense, primarily. Life for us isn't about money, but about pleasing the Lord. He'll take care of you. Anything that you're doing in business that doesn't smack of integrity needs to change. And it could be a host of things. It could be not working hard. You need to work hard. You need to be the hardest workers your place of employment it means it could mean the illegal use of copyright laws i know there are people who think who cares about it well the guy who copyrighted cares because that's how he makes his livelihood and whether or not you and i can figure it out and agree with it that's the law and it's illegal to do anything else committing phone theft while well, i use the company phone even though it's personal that would not smack of integrity exaggerating a product, all kinds of things. It could mean that you put your work and financial profit ahead of ministry to the church. It could mean that you're so busy trying to make money, and not just ends meet, but trying to make a, you know ends meet and a lot more, that maybe you're not involved in the church because you're too busy. Maybe you're not ministering because you're working harder than you really need to work. Like the person who maybe is working on Sundays, and I don't have a problem with that if your boss says work on Sundays, But maybe you don't need, maybe you are the boss and you don't need to work on Sundays. I don't know everyone's situation, but it could mean that. Maybe it's padding your expense account. There are all kinds of things, but the point is, is that when God revives your heart, one of the first areas that you straighten out is your business dealings. You straighten out your home, you straighten out your business dealings, and then there is a third area of change that must change, that will change as a result of revival. If it doesn't change, something is wrong. Something is wrong in your life. And that third area is support for the house of God. Notice verses 32 through 39. We also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the continual grain offerings, for the continual burnt offerings, the Sabbaths, the new moon, for the appointed times, for the holy things, and for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. Likewise... We cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests, the Levites, and the people, in order that they might bring it to the house of our God according to our fathers' households at fixed times annually to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. And in order that they might bring the first fruits of our ground and the firstfruits of all the fruit of every tree to the house of the Lord annually. And to bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and our cattle. And the firstborn of our herds and our flocks as it is written in the law for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God. We will also bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the fruit, the fruit of every tree. The new wine and the oil to the priests at the chambers. ...of the house of our God and the tithe of our ground to the Levites. For the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. And the priests, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers... And the singers, thus, we will not neglect the house of our God. That last phrase of this chapter gives you the theme of these verses. We will not neglect the house of our God. In fact, nine times in these verses, the expression, the house of our God is mentioned. So that's what it's about. It's about supporting financially... The work of God, they pledged themselves to take care of the restored temple to support the ministry of the temple. Now, what did that involve? There are four areas of support, and this is what we just read. Let me go through this quickly. First of all, in verses 32 and 33, there was a temple tax. It says in verse 32 that they place themselves under obligation to contribute one third of a shekel for the service of the house of their God. That's a temple tax. They promised to contribute one third of a shekel each year as a temple tax to pay for the expenses of the ministry. The Mosaic law required this Exodus chapter thirty verses eleven through sixteen required everyone twenty years of age and up that they were to give one half of a shekel every time the census was, was taken. Now, this has changed a little bit. Now, Nehemiah says, give one third of a shekel, but do it annually. So maybe it's because times were hard, maybe because there's a, uh, annually as opposed to when there was a census, but the principle is the same. By the way, this is the background. Remember in Matthew chapter 17, this is very interesting as we compare Scripture with Scripture, Jesus observed the law. We are not under the the details of the law, but in Matthew 17, verse 24, it says when they had come to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma, which would be half a shekel tax, came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? See, that's what he's talking about. That's the background. It's a temple tax. Now, why do they have a temple tax? Well, they, they needed money for a host of reasons in order to carry on the everyday, carry out the everyday expenses of the temple. It would mean for the, for the priest to maintain the bread on the tables of presents, for, uh, uh, for the offerings, for uh, ongoing festivals, and any other expense. It was a temple tax to support the ongoing ministry of the temple. Secondly, they had wood for the altar. Verse 34 says, We cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests and, and families and so forth. Now, why did they need wood? Well, the people promised to provide wood for the temple because it says in the law, Leviticus chapter 6, that the fire on the brazen altar at the temple was to be kept burning continually. So you need wood there so it would burn continually. So they cast lots to see which families at what time would bring wood. Then they promised the first fruits. In verses 35 through 37, they make a pledge. To involve bringing the first fruits given to the Lord. That would be the crops, that would be their children, or specifically their sons, and that would be also their animals. That's found in Exodus chapter 23, also Deuteronomy 12. Now, you might wonder what do you mean about bringing your, your sons as, as first fruits? Well, one Bible teacher explained it this way because God saved the firstborn Jews from death. In the land of Egypt, the firstborn of men and beasts belonged to the Lord. That's what he said. The firstborn son had to be redeemed by a sacrifice because that child belonged to God. So you would bring your crops to the temple. You would bring your animals for sacrifice. But you would also bring your sons. You would not sacrifice your son. There would be a sacrifice for your son and he would be given back to you. But he really belonged to the Lord. This is why as an infant, Jesus was brought to the temple by his parents as an infant because he was the firstborn son and this was the principle of first fruits. Now there was something else in verses 37 through 39. The fourth and final pledge that they made was that they would pledge a tithe. They would give a tithe. Now what is a tithe? Literally the term tithe simply means a tenth. And the law required the Jewish people to bring a tenth of their produce to the Lord for the support of the Levites. The Levites, in turn, were to give a tenth of what was given to them and bring it to the priests and they would support the priests. By the way, the law not only required a tenth, when we speak of tithe, we usually think of 10%. But it was more like 23% because not only did you have this tithe, but you also, the law spoke of a tithe of annual feasts to support the feasts. So that would be 20%. And then every three years they were to give uh, another tithe for the poor. And so uh, that comes out to about 23%. So when you're thinking of tithing, if you're thinking of just being stuck on 10, uh, not even the Jewish people under the law gave 10. They gave more like, as I said, 23%. Now, That's what these verses are talking about, but how in the world would this apply to us? What does God want us to do with these these verses? We don't have a temple. We don't have a temple. We don't have priests. We don't have Levites today. We don't live in in an agricultural society, at least not our community, and we don't carry on sacrifices. In fact, we're not even commanded in the New Testament to tithe. We're, We're not commanded in the New Testament to tithe. Well, To begin with, I want you to hear the very wise words of British expositor G. Campbell Morgan. This is how you begin to apply this. He says, whereas the house of God today is no longer material but spiritual, the material is still a very real symbol of the spiritual. When the church of God in any place, in any locality, is careless about the material place of of assembly, the place of its worship and work, it is a sign of evidence that its life is. Is at a low ebb. In other words, what he's saying is while we don't have a literal temple today, we don't have a literal temple. We do have church buildings where we gather to worship, and the way we care for those buildings and the way we support the work of the local church we attend indicates what we think of our God. That's what Campbell Morgan was saying, and uh, I agree, and I think that's how how you apply this. So what are some of the valuable lessons, and there really are, I encourage you to take some of this stuff down, valuable lessons for us that naturally flow out of this text. Here's as I see it. Number one, one thing is rather obvious. There's no temple tax imposed on you, but every Christian has a responsibility to financially support the church they attend, whether it be this church or some other church that you're going to. There's no tax imposed upon you, but obviously somebody's got to support it. And it only makes sense that the people who go there support it. Why? For the same reason the Jewish people supported the the temple ministry to carry on the work of the church's ministries. If you don't support it, if I don't support it, who's going to? I'll tell you, nobody's going to. And uh, what does is, what is the finances go for? Well, a host of things, to pay for salaries, to support missions, to support missionaries, to pay for materials used in evangelism and materials used in teaching, to finance all kinds of projects, youth ministries, all kinds of various ministries going on. If we don't give, we don't have a church building. We don't have a church. That's just, just the way it is. It's for the upkeep also of the building that you are in, On a weekly basis, somebody's got to pay for lighting, somebody's got to pay for air conditioning. I mean, that's just common sense. I mean, I think it's common sense. I think everyone should. And here's the truth. When God revives your heart, when God revives your heart, the support of your local church means a lot. It's it's as simple as that because Jesus said in Matthew 621, where your treasure is, there will your heart be too. Where you invest in, that's that's what you think is important. We give to what we think is important. It's as simple as that. We give to what we think is important. No financial support for the local church reveals a spiritual heart problem. It's like a hitchhiker, as someone said. A hitchhiker just wants a free ride. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't give anything. He just wants you to take him wherever he wants to go. When you're part of a local church ministry, you give. And we don't speak a whole lot about that. I only speak about it when, when we're in the text. So if you're visiting, you might think, boy, like every other church I go to, they're asking for money. Um, well, I don't think we're like every other church. We hardly speak about it. But this is what the passage says. And the issue is, is this, what, is this accurate? Is this what God's word is saying? And it really is. It's, a, it's an important, timeless principle. Jewish people gave for the temple, so we give for the house of God that we're, that we're a part of. A second lesson that I see from uh, the way the Jewish people supported the temple ministry is this. Just as the people were to bring wood, remember that we said they're to bring wood so that the altar would always be, the fires would always be kept going? Well, I think the principle is this. There are some things besides money. I think we all should be a part of, of the financial aspect, but there are some things besides money that we can give to benefit the Lord's work. There are some things we can do. We can, you know, God can use anything you can give. I mean, how spiritual is wood? Not very. But as they gave it to the Lord, God sanctified it and used it for his glory. You may have an area of uh, expertise that you can give to, the, to this ministry. It's not financial, but it's an area of expertise that nobody else has. Or you can donate uh, food. You can donate clothing. You can donate your time, your energies to do things. Just as God used the wood, he can use whatever you bring and sanctify it. A third lesson that applies to us, as I see it, is this whole concept of first fruits. Why did the people give God the first of their crops? Why did they do that? Because it was an expression of gratitude for God's provision. It was a way of saying, thank you. I recognize, Lord, that that what I have before you comes from you. And I'm thankful. I believe you're going to give me more. But I want you to have the best. I want you to have the first. I want you to have the best. So what this says to us is that our giving ought to be motivated, not by a law. We're not under a law, but it's motivated by gratitude rather than obligation. We give to God because we love him. He's given so much to us. It's a privilege to give to God. You give back to him a portion of what he's given to you. It is is a privilege. It is a pleasure to give to God. That's why Paul writes in the New Testament, and this has always been the truth, God loves a cheerful giver. You're You're to give because you want to. Gratitude. Do you realize how much God has given to you? How much God has given to me? We give him back a portion with an understanding that it all belongs to him. Fourth lesson. What lesson do we learn from the tithe? Well, while the New Testament does not command us to tithe, it does tell us to give regularly as God has prospered us. Would you look, please, at 1 Corinthians chapter 16? 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is the principle for New Testament believers. Paul says in verse 1 Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. What what is he saying? Give in keeping with your income as he may prosper. What we teach is proportionate giving. Grace giving is proportionate giving. Give in keeping with your income. If you make a lot of money, you should give a lot of money. If you don't make much money, don't give much money. Give as God has prospered you. If one week is better than another give more. If one week is less than another, give less. I mean, that's a freedom. That's a real freedom. But everyone is to give regardless of the amount. Paul says, let each one of you lay aside. And young people, if you have a source of income, you ought to give. If you don't, then don't give. I mean, it's like that. If God has blessed you, then you give proportionately to God's blessings. If you don't give, then you're disobedient. You say, and here's what people always come up with well, what about my other financial responsibilities? It's not right that I don't pay my other bills. You're absolutely right. Pay your other bills. But in uh, Proverbs, I want you to see this Proverbs 3 9. We're talking about first fruits here. In Proverbs 3 9, the word says this honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. That is to say, when you're making at your budget and you're thinking of all the other bills that you have to pay. Set aside what you're going to give to the Lord first. Give God first and then pay your bills. And do it cheerfully. I mean, that's what Proverbs is saying. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Give Him the first fruits. Don't give God what's left over. Decide every month this is what we can do, this is what we can't do. But this is how we're going to honor the Lord. And then give God cheerfully. In 2 Corinthians, marvelous verse 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one of you do, just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, nobody imposes upon you what to give. We're not under law. As God has prospered you, you purpose in your heart. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. That is to say, that as you give to the Lord, trust him, he'll meet your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and everything you need will be given to you. Some things we don't need, because you might think, well, I needed this, but I didn't have it. Well, then you didn't need it. You didn't need it. The bottom line is this. When God revives your heart, you financially support his house and his work. The house of God becomes important to you, not only in financial support, but in ministry, in what goes on here. I mean, even think of the upkeep of this building. This is going to be an older building. If you and I don't do something and support, who, who's going to? I, I want you to see one, one final verse. Haggai, in fact, I'll read it to you. It's somewhere in the Old Testament, okay? Haggai chapter one, verse four. If I said it's right after Zephaniah, would that help you? I don't think so. Haggai chapter one, verse four. Haggai says, it is time for you yourselves to dwell or I'll put it, let me start over again. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies desolate? You know what he's saying? He is rebuking the, the people. He's rebuking the people because they were so into their own uh, homes, taking care of their own homes, that they had neglecting, neglected taking care of the house of God. What he's saying is that you're so busy making sure your place looks good, have you forgotten? The house of God. What, what, a, what a piercing rebuke to those who would do that. And we need to take heed to those words. That principle is still true today, though this is not the temple. This is where we gather to worship our God. And we need to be careful that we're not pouring all of our resources into material things for us and neglecting the place of worship. So in light of Nehemiah chapter 10, what changes do you need to make? What changes today, starting today, do you need to make in marriage? Young people, I want your attention. I'm, I'm going to ask you to commit yourselves to this day, this day to marry only a Christian. To say to God, this is my commitment to marry only a Christian who, who honors you. And parents, I'm asking you this day to commit yourselves to encouraging your children only to marry a Christian. Not to look for somebody to well, he treats her nicely. Or she's a very nice person. I'm sure they are. But the issue is not will this marriage work, not will they be married in 25, 30, 40, 50 years. The issue is will it please the Lord? And it doesn't please him if a Christian marries a non-Christian. So I'm asking you today, as we go to prayer in a moment, to commit yourselves to doing this. Business-wise, I'm asking you to commit yourselves to doing business by the book, God's book. That money is second to honoring him. That making money is not your king. Honoring Jesus Christ is most important. And if it means that you don't get a sale, then it means you don't get a sale. Can you trust the Lord? You trusted him with your salvation. Can you trust him for a few dollars? And then I'm, I'm asking you, all of you, to commit yourselves this day to supporting this place. And many of you do. Many of you do. And uh, you're, you're a giving, gracious people. But if there's one who does not, then I'm asking you to commit yourself to do it. Don't be a hitchhiker. Don't be a hitchhiker. Be, be committed, not only financially, but committed in every way to this ministry. Because you are the church. I'm not the church. You are the church. Commit yourself to supporting this place of worship with your money, your tasks, your energy, your time, your talents, your expertise, all of that. I close with this. It was Sir Winston Churchill who said these brilliant words, and, and really quite biblical, though, there's no text for it that I'm reading, but he said this, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. W- what is your life like? I'll read that again. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. You've heard of the expression, get a life? You get a life by giving.
1: If you've lived that way, I'm sure you know that it's true. Heavenly Father, I ask that you remind us daily That is all your stuff anyway, and keep us mindful of your promises to meet our needs when we focus on you and your kingdom. We also ask that there would be a genuine revival in our land, and may it start with us. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For information about Lakeside, go online to lakesidechapel.com. Or call 727-441-1714. That's also the number to call if you'd like a free audio CD with the message Pastor Steve just concluded. Call 727-441-1714 and ask for message 4420, The Results of Revival. That's 4420, The Results of Revival. You can also stream or download today's and a previous broadcast from our website, firstbyverseradio.org, And there's a convenient giving page as well if you'd like to help support Verse by Verse. We thank you for your gifts and your prayers.